0: The following podcast episode will contain discussion about diets and calories and body weight. If that makes you uncomfortable, I won't be offended if you choose to skip and choose to watch some of my other or listen to some of my other material instead. Hello, my name is Natalie Nation and you're watching or listening to Feed That Nation. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking about something that I think might be a little bit controversial. I'm going to be talking about my least favorite fad diets. Now, a fad diet is a diet usually made popular through social media or by uh, popular culture, and usually it's claiming to do a fantastical thing for your body. It's claiming to be the magic answer or the quick fix that I know I've talked about in previous episodes. These diets have a whole range of ideas that support them. They have a whole bunch of different science that might or might not be legit that uh, people use to support the use of these diets. And more importantly, these diets can range from okay to pretty harmful. And so I wanted to talk about a couple of my really least favorite fad diets that I think when done incorrectly or used by the wrong people can be really harmful or detrimental to health. If I mention a fad diet or a diet pattern that you in particular use and that you found it to be really helpful and that you enjoy it. I'm not attacking you or your personal lifestyle. I'm just giving my academic opinion based on my undergraduate degree in dietetics and now some of the classes I've had as a master's in public health nutrition student. So I'm gonna start right off and say that one of my absolute least favorite fad diets is any version of a detox or a cleanse. And these come in a lot of different forms, way uh, varied eating patterns, way different foods that they say are toxic. And basically the idea is you follow this diet to get rid of the toxins in your body. You're cleaning out your body, you're detoxifying it from all the harmful things that you've apparently been eating. And the science behind this is so, so not supported because we have a liver and kidneys that already do that job for us regardless of the foods we consume. The foods we consume don't really have an impact on how clean our bodies are and the foods we eat can't really do anything to clean out our system. Our digestive system is already very good at what it does. Our liver and kidneys are already very good at what they do and these diets really don't do the detoxing or the cleansing that they claim to and generally the cleansing or the detoxing puts certain foods into these categories of good and bad or toxic and clean that are really arbitrary a lot of the time, and a lot of the time they sort of, I don't want to say penalize, but they put foods into the toxic category that, you know, aren't really all that toxic at all, and they say that you shouldn't ever eat certain foods when really any food unless you're genuinely allergic to it, can be consumed in moderation. Another fad diet, and this one might not even be considered really a fad diet, but I think there can be issues with this particular eating pattern if it's not executed correctly, and that is veganism. Now, veganism as a lifestyle, as a ethical and moral decision, I think that's fantastic. I actually really love eating vegan food even though I haven't personally made the decision to be vegan myself. And I think that there's a lot to be said for taking responsibility for the environmental impact that your dietary choices might have. And vegan as a lifestyle, I mean it excludes animal proteins and animal products, so meat and dairy, and fish, and generally it recommends that you include fruits, vegetables, whole grains, lean plant-based proteins, but the vegan lifestyle doesn't actually have a specific dietary pattern attached to it or there's 18 million different lists of vegan approved foods. You know this is more of a lifestyle choice than a particular diet most of the time. Really because of this there are a lot of ways to do vegan super correctly and include tons of nutritious foods and really live a healthful lifestyle on a vegan eating pattern and there are a lot of ways to do veganism less correctly and eat a vegan diet that actually can cause you to be deficient in a lot of nutrients and one of the some of the biggest examples of this are iron iron is really abundant in animal products and not consuming animal products. Um, might decrease your iron consumption if you aren't replacing those animal product iron sources with plant-based uh, sources or a multivitamin with iron or an iron supplement you could actually become anemic which obviously isn't ideal. Anemia is one of the more common deficiencies that people face but definitely can have some detrimental health effects. Another one might be vitamin D. Uh, we see a lot of vitamin D deficiency when people aren't consuming dairy products Um, simply because a lot of dairy products to make them more nutritious and to get people that vitamin D have been fortified or enriched with extra vitamin D and I will say this and this is probably my favorite example as to why a vegan diet can either be great or it can be pretty darn unhealthful is that Oreos are vegan. There are a lot of uh, energy dense, but not nutrient dense. I'd call them junkier foods foods higher in added sugar added salt and added fat that are vegan but don't have a lot of nutritional value to them. So even if a product is labeled certified vegan, is it actually nutritious? Well you're gonna have to read the nutrition nutrition label to figure that one out. And so I'd say to wrap that one up, veganism as a lifestyle, super admirable. I support people who are doing it but If you're not executing your nutrition correctly you're at risk for some nutritional deficiencies which could impact your health negatively. So vegans all around the world um, definitely think about those micronutrients. So (laughs) this one outside of the fact that I get asked all the time you know, I want to be healthy, where do I start? I did an entire episode on that uh, not too long ago, but one of the other most common things that people want to ask me about when they find out that I have studied nutrition is they want to know all about the keto diet or the ketogenic diet. And (laughs) it's become super popular in the media lately. A lot of people are trying out the keto diet, athletes are making it pretty popular, Uh, celebrities are making it pretty popular, and there's kind of a mixed understanding all across the board of what the keto, the keto diet is, what you eat when you're on it, what it does for your body, and so forth and so on. <laughs> so I'll start by giving just a medical background. So the keto diet was actually, or the ketogenic diet, the idea of it is to induce ketosis in your body. So instead of using carbohydrates for energy, your body is turning fats into ketones, which are then being used for energy instead. This diet was actually begun as a medical diet. Um, And really in the clinical world, it's only prescribed for generally pediatric patients who have really unmanaged, poorly managed, severe epilepsy. So we call this intractable epilepsy. So epilepsy seizures, severe seizures that are happening so often that they're impacting quality of life and that they have been unable to control by trying at least two different medications. So at this point, um, generally a patient who has epilepsy, in order to start the ketogenic diet after all these medications have failed, they'll be admitted to the hospital for at least a week and monitored super closely to make sure that them consuming the ketogenic diet isn't going to impact their health more negatively than it is going to benefit their seizures or their neurological condition more positively, and the reason I say this is because that generally the basis of what a medical ketogenic diet is, it is incredibly high in fat, moderately low in protein, and with very 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 few carbohydrates, so generally less than I want to say 30 or 40 grams of carbohydrates a day. I'd have to brush up on my MNT to know that for sure but so a sample diet for a child who is on a ketogenic diet would probably be a lot of butter and heavy cream some chicken maybe a little lettuce but you know scrambled eggs possibly cheese maybe a little but so few carbohydrates that really it's just all fat with a couple of little vegetables and some protein thrown in there so it's really not a very fun diet to consume just because a lot of the things that make food taste good sugar carbohydrates aren't consumed in this diet. On top of that, because um, a person on a ketogenic diet medically would be consuming such a high amount of fat, that puts them at risk for certain health problems. So hyperlipidemia, so too many lipids in their blood, it can raise their cholesterol levels, they can develop some heart issues based around that. Um, There are some cognitive functional issues because your brain prefers carbohydrates. The carbohydrates are the brain's preferred source of energy, so switching out of carbohydrate-produced energy into ketone energy um, can cause a lack of function, a brain fog, other issues like that. Digestively, consuming tons of fat, very little protein, and basically no carbohydrates or fiber That's gonna make your entire digestive system generally feel pretty crappy. So the most common symptoms for that are vomiting, constipation, on the other side of constipation, we have diarrhea or even steatorrhea, which is diarrhea that is just full of fat excrement. It's very uncomfortable, not fun at all. On top of just eating a diet that's not very fun for so long when a child is already having such severe neurological issues. So there's gonna be a huge quality of life impact And I'm talking about, you know, a clinical patient here, but people out in the real world who are consuming some version of a keto diet or a keto diet pattern are likely going to have some of these issues. You know, we generally would not recommend the keto diet for anyone who has any kind of heart issue. That would be a contraindication just because generally with people with heart issues, we're recommending a lower fat, higher fiber diet, which is pretty much the opposite of the keto diet pattern. I think also there's sort of a misunderstanding because people are, one of the reasons I think athletes or people whose goal is weight loss want to try the keto diet because they think that they'll be burning fat. So they think they'll be burning their body fat. And while this isn't untrue necessarily, really the fat you're burning to turn into ketones in ketosis is the dietary fat that you're consuming. And... I'd say also the reason that we admit pediatric patients to start them on a ketogenic diet for epilepsy treatment is because it's actually really challenging to get the body into ketosis. There's also just a really big lack of scientific research and clinical research around the ketogenic diet outside of its use in patients with medical conditions so there's not a lot of research to support the ketogenic diet being beneficial for the generally healthy population or specifically for the athletic population the research in these fields is really lacking so far so anything that you're seeing where athletes might be talking about how they're using it or websites might be talking about how it's beneficial the real good clinical research to support all this just really hasn't been developed hasn't been studied yet So I'd say definitely if you are either currently pursuing the keto diet in your own life or you've been considering starting it, I would say there's not a lot of science to support it so far and there are a whole lot of side effects and adverse health effects that might make it not a great idea for you sort of along the same vein with the keto diet in terms of lack of research, is intermittent fasting. And the idea behind intermittent fasting is that a person will consume foods but only within certain times of the day, within a certain period of hours, or they might consume food only on certain days of the week and not other days of the week. And the science behind this really um, is kind of similar to the keto diet because, um, it supports this idea of burning fat because if you're not eating your body is not using the food that you haven't given it, <laughs> triple negative there I guess, and then it's burning the fat stores that you already have instead. There's also research to support it start, restarts your metabolism or resets your metabolism or makes your metabolism more efficient, which most of the research I'm aware of in this field of intermittent fasting uh, has been in people with type 2 diabetes or um, metabolic disorders. Um, and not as much research in the generally healthy population. And it's funny because with the intermittent fasting and also with the ketogenic diet, going back to that, people think that it's super good for weight loss. and, And there's actually not a lot of clinical research to support that it actually is good for weight loss outside of the fact that both with the intermittent fasting and the keto diet pattern, you're generally just going to be consuming fewer calories than you would otherwise. And with the keto diet, that's because it's pretty self-limiting. Most of the foods that you can eat with that diet pattern are pretty unfun, and fat fills you up pretty quickly. So you're just going to eat fewer foods than normal, fewer calories than normal. And with the intermittent fasting, if you're only consuming foods within a small period of time, you're generally just going to be eating fewer foods than normal. So that's a lot of times where this weight loss comes in. Um, I'll also add here that when a person eats carbohydrates, their body also stores a few grams of water per gram of carbohydrates just um, for digesting and absorbing and all these metabolic processes that would take 20 minutes to explain if I did that right now. But when you are consuming fewer carbohydrates or you're consuming really, really low levels of carbohydrates like in the ketogenic diet you're gonna drop the water weight. Um, You know your body's gonna flush that extra water out because it's no longer needed. So you might see when you first start a diet pattern like this that you lose weight right away and then your weight stays pretty steady. Well the reason for that is you just basically flushed out water. You didn't lose fat mass, you didn't lose muscle mass, you just flushed water out of your body. (laughs) Which I think is sort of funny. I think the thing that gets me about intermittent fasting and why I am really looking forward to seeing the science behind it being beneficial for the general population is because when you're restricting your food consumption to a certain period of hours in the day or certain days of the week you're essentially teaching your body to ignore its natural hunger cues and you're teaching yourself to ignore what your body is telling you and this could look like if your intermittent fasting pattern is eating two days and then not eating one day and then eating two days and not eating one day you're teaching yourself to ignore your body telling you on that day that you're fasting hey I'm hungry I need food you know the hormonal signals in your body are meant to tell you to tell your brain when your stomach when your system is missing something and ignoring those Um, can really, a, a lot of, I guess, issues can develop with this. There's kind of two sides of it. So the first side of it is ignoring your hunger cues can really set up a scenario in which you're eating when you're not hungry or you're overeating because you're not listening to your body telling you it's full. And this could result in overeating to the point of weight gain and the clinical medical issues that result in that. And on the other side, we have ignoring your, your hunger cues to the point where you're not eating, even when your body is telling you, hey, we're hungry, hey, we really need nutrients, which can support the development of disordered eating patterns or even eating disorders, which is something I definitely want to get into, but will definitely save for a different podcast so I can give it the attention it deserves. The way I tend to think about food, and certainly the way I try to talk to other people about food, is more along the lines of intuitive eating, In which you're paying attention to your body and what it's telling you and you're feeding it while being mindful and really just thinking about it and uh, developing positivity around eating and developing awareness around what your body needs. And this is, I almost want to say it's pretty much the complete opposite of intermittent fasting because the idea of intermittent fasting is eating within a certain period of time whether you're hungry or not so you know you're gonna eat all this food within the couple of hours that you have maybe past the point of being full or you're gonna ignore your body's natural hunger cues telling you hey I'm hungry because your fasting pattern says you can't eat for another few hours or until tomorrow so that's maybe a reason I just take intermittent fasting Um, I take it pretty seriously. I generally (laughs) wouldn't really recommend it to anybody, although if somebody, like I said at the beginning, if you're having a lot of success and finding a lot of positivity for yourself and your body by eating this way, that's amazing. That is so amazing, but I definitely want to wait for more clinical research to come out before I support um, its use in the generally healthy population. Another um, fad diet that I really dislike is something I actually see on Pinterest a lot, and it really bothers me, actually. All these infographics on Pinterest that talk about health, that talk about diets, that give you meal plans, that give you ideas, they link to websites, and there's not really any good way to fact check this un- until you click on it, you know? And there's not really a good way to you know, remove pins that are harmful, or to promote pins that are actually legitimate, supported by science. And... I think, in general with Pinterest, and this is a totally side tangent, a lot of things on there aren't necessarily harmful, but they're not necessarily correct. So I'm just gonna focus on the specific things I've seen on Pinterest that can be harmful, and that I think are pretty negative. And most of them follow along the lines of this idea of the single food diet. So whether that's the cabbage soup diet or the boiled egg diet or whatever version of that that you see. Generally, these follow the same pattern of it'll give you about a week's worth of, quote, meal planning. And it'll say with the boiled egg diet, you know, you'll have two boiled eggs for breakfast and then you'll have a boiled egg and a whole wheat tortilla and some hummus for lunch. And for dinner, you'll have a boiled egg and some chicken and broccoli. And these diets usually also promise some version of lose 10 pounds in 2 weeks or, you know, lose that tummy fat or whatever. And <laughs> these diets are so incorrect and can be super super harmful because they are not only recommending restricting your energy intake to unhealthy, unsafe amounts, but they're also recommending that you consume a really, really limited selection of foods. And by consuming a limited selection of foods, you're almost guaranteeing that you're not going to be getting the nutrients you need. On top of both of those things... Who wants to eat cabbage soup for a week or who wants to eat boiled eggs you know at every single meal you know these diets have sort of an emotional or psychological component where they're forcing you to do things that aren't very fun for the sake of this supposed benefit of um, an aesthetic change which probably isn't going to actually happen the way you want it to my general rule of thumb is if a diet has a single food in the name, and is on Pinterest, it's probably a bad idea. And if any diet pattern, or supplement even, or exercise program promises you extravagant weight loss, or changes in your body that don't seem very realistic, it's probably A, not going to work, and B, is probably going to be harmful for your health, harmful for your either physical health or your mental health, maybe even both. And that's why I dislike these Pinterest fad diets so much. So the final diet on, I guess, my list of my least favorite fad diets is the Whole30. And the Whole30 is pretty popular, I'd say. The basis behind it is you take 30 days and you don't consume sugar, you don't consume gluten, you don't consume dairy, and you don't consume alcohol. And at the end of the 30 days, you're supposed to... I guess go back to the way you were eating before or make a change. I think it's pretty unclear, actually. But I think the Whole30 isn't all negative. I actually think the idea of taking that time to be mindful about just what foods you are consuming can be really positive for health in general. But I think that some people take the Whole30 kind of the way people understand a detox or a cleanse, which I already talked about these don't work, but they're thinking if I don't eat these foods for a whole month, I'm going to get rid of all the bad stuff that these foods were bringing into my body. And that's not true. I already talked about why that's not true. We've got liver and kidneys, super great. Um, but I think the idea of a Whole30 as sort of a mindset reset could be a positive thing actually. You know, if we're taking a month to not consume foods that were regularly a staple in our diet, we're probably going to be consuming other things instead. And generally, we like to think that these things are going to be more nutritious, so if you're not drinking alcohol, you're drinking water. Or if you're not consuming sugar, maybe you're eating fruits and vegetables. And at the end of the month, you might realize wow, I was consuming a lot of foods that were not bringing me health. I was consuming a lot of foods that were energy-dense but not nutrient-dense. Maybe I was drinking a lot of alcohol or, you know, being unreasonable with my consumption of those things. And as a mindset reset, at the end of those 30 days, maybe you're going to return to eating foods with gluten and dairy and sugar and alcohol, but you're going to be thinking a lot more about moderation or a lot more about what your body truly needs rather than just the foods that you want because they taste good. So I'd say the Whole30, I'm kinda on the fence about it. I think also the Whole30 definitely is just meant to be a 30-day thing. And then after those 30 days, if you decide that you wanna reintroduce those foods, great. But the idea of prohibiting foods from your diet permanently for no other reason than they're perceived to be unhealthy I think that kind of mindset can be pretty harmful. I'm a firm believer in anything, absolutely anything in moderation unless you're genuinely allergic to or intolerant of it. So if you're you know, cutting out dairy and gluten for just this idea that it is bad for you, I think that could start to, I guess, foster these feelings of guilt around any time that you do consume it. Because you feel like you're not supposed to. And also this sort of overeating. So the few times that you do consume these foods, you're gonna overconsume to the point of, you know, maybe being sick or over consuming even when you're not hungry. Because, you know, you're never allowed to have these foods. So if you're gonna indulge, you're gonna really indulge. And I think that sort of mindset around eating, that these foods I can't ever have, and then developing guilt around eating them or overeating the few times you do choose to eat them, I think that's just a really negative mindset to have around food. And if the Whole30 is going to promote that mindset in people, then I think it's definitely going to be a negative thing. Reflecting on this list of, I guess, fad diets that I've been critiquing I think I'm finding some common themes. I think one of the biggest themes that I'm finding is that a lot of these fad diets either aren't supported by science or misconstrue existing science, or they promote this idea of excluding major food groups and putting food into categories of yes, no, good, bad, clean, toxic. And this really binary black-and-white way of thinking, which is really negative. And I'd say, I guess, some of these diets and other diets that I haven't mentioned, I think the acid-alkaline diet, which is A, totally unsupported by science, but B, puts foods into categories of good-bad based on this idea that the foods you eat have a direct impact on the acidity or alkaline level of your blood, which is... (laughs) Which is so completely untrue, I guess. I'll go on this tangent with the acid-alkaline diet. So your body is very, very good at maintaining your blood pH, which I believe is supposed to be somewhere around 7.35, so just a tiny bit alkaline, for the very idea that if your blood becomes too acidic, you will die. And if the foods you ate, and especially if the foods you ate According to the list of the acid-alkaline diet foods, if the foods you ate directly impacted your blood pH level so dramatically, people would already be dead. (laughs) You know, your body regulates your blood pH so well, most of the time, unless you're sick. Then you might go into, like, acidosis, which I won't go into that because that's a pretty specific medical condition but the acid alkaline diet kind of uses scare tactics and incorrect science and this idea of the binary foods, the good and bad foods. And I really dislike that. And that's, it's another one of those diets that's super popular on Pinterest and super trendy in popular culture. And it's really negative because it has both of these ideas of the good and bad binary food lists and the incorrect application of science. So, when you are out there and you're thinking about maybe you want to make a change in your eating pattern, maybe you want to try something that you are reading about. I'd say I feel like I end every podcast and every video with this recently, but do your research. Really find good evidence-based science to support whatever you want to try. And if you can't find any good scientific research from, you know, institutions that are valid, maybe this diet isn't supported by science and maybe you shouldn't try it for that very reason. I'd also say if you have a medical condition and you want to make a change, always talk to your healthcare provider first. And even if you don't have a medical condition, if you're a generally healthy person, I'd say also don't make any really big changes in your eating pattern without speaking to a healthcare professional. Um, just because, um, for example, if you are wanting to try the keto diet, your doctor might want to test your blood cholesterol or your blood lipids or your heart function first to make sure that this wouldn't be an issue for you. And like I said at the beginning, if you are finding success in using a fad diet or you know eating in a fad diet eating pattern and you're finding a lot of health and success in that I love that and I would really love to hear about that um, so please leave me a comment below leave me a review go comment on my most recent Instagram post tell me about how you have experienced this eating pattern and I am so excited to hear about your experiences if you've had negative experiences with specific fad diets I also definitely want to hear about that for sure also go ahead and Follow me on Instagram. I am at Feed That Nation. Definitely subscribe to my YouTube channel. I got a new video every Wednesday. This Wednesday, in particular, it's a podcast. Every other Wednesday will be a video, and the Wednesdays in between are podcasts. Go check out my blog, feedthatnation.com, where I talk recipes, podcasting, photography, and other adventures about my life in graduate school. Until next time, my name is Natalie Nation, and you're listening to Feed That Nation. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you soon.